Uh, I heard the news yesterday that, of the passing of the of the great Vita Blue. Uh, man, what a sad day! What a what a great man. Um, the game definitely lost a a good one yesterday, and and uh, a year ago, about a year year and a half ago, uh, I sat down. I had the privilege of sitting down with Vita. Uh, on my on my podcast and, and we talked at length and what an interesting man everything he'd been through and everybody talks about the Cy Youngs and the and the simultaneously winning the MVP but there was much more to him than that you know I got to play with Ichiro and there was a big deal of Ichiro being on his back his first name not his last uh, Vita was the first to do that you know Vita Blue and he had Vita on his back so he's kind of the pioneer but um what a man, uh, what a life, and uh, my tribute to him, I, if you haven't checked it out, uh, really great, great podcast, getting to, getting to hang out with the great Vita Blue. Ladies and gentlemen, Vita Blue. Vita, welcome to the program. <laughs> Glad to be on, man. You sound good. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a long time. Yeah, I think last time I saw you might have been at the golf tournament in Monterey for, for the Safeway Company. Yeah, that was right after I retired. That was probably ten or twelve years ago. I got a, I got a quick right off the top. I got a quick question for who's the last switch hitter to win the American League MVP? <laughs> hey man, somebody looked that thing up and uh, it it made me infamous. You know, within the baseball ranks. Uh, well, what happened is you know I do I um, I'm I pitch left handed. But I eat right-handed. I, I play golf right-handed. When I had hair, I used to comb my hair right-handed. But I did go to bat maybe once or twice right-handed. So I did switch hit once upon a time. And, of course, you know, the, the powers that be don't want you batting. If you're left-handed pitcher, they don't want you batting right-handed because that, that lead arm is your throwing arm, and that, that's what's exposed to to a uh, thrown baseball. And I'm like – yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm I'm not sure if I can get out of the way setting up there right handed anyway. So but yeah, that's that's a good one, man. I I've I've had hundreds of people tell me that they've made money off that in the bar, you know, when they be doing the sports trivia. So nobody's reached in the pocket to give me their cut yet. But uh yeah, that, that's true. I'm the last American League switch inning MVP. <laughs> that was nineteen seventy one. You won the Cy Cy Young that same year. No, because they came to me and they asked the question, you know, and people ask you these, these silly questions all the time. And, you know, I mean, obvious, if I'm not really going to spend some time on it, there's some obvious choice. You know, uh, Chipper Jones comes to mind. Uh, Eddie yeah, Murray. Right. And, and they're saying, no, no, no. And I said, well, what is this trick question? I said, Vita Blue. I said, I had no idea Vita hit lefty and righty. But but they they got me, too. They got me, too. <laughs> all right man that's that's a good one though i appreciate you putting it back out there for your listeners yeah it's it, that's, a, that's a good question i've got i've got another one too and i i think you like this as well yeah i played uh in 2000 2001 uh ichiro suzuki came over from japan and right. it was it was a really interesting not only the fanfare that he brought from Japan and the press and the, the daily thing, we, we shot a commercial and I shot a commercial with him. And of course, on the back of my Jersey, I had Brett because Ichiro unbeknownst to me, I, I'm thinking as a big league player at the time, at the time I probably had eight or nine years in the big leagues. And right. I'm thinking, I don't, 
I don't remember anybody putting their first name only on their jersey. I remember Pele doing it. And then there was Ichiro, but there was another one. I think there's one besides it, but Vita Blue did it. Tell me about how that came to be. Well, you know, the owner of the team, uh, well, you don't know him, but I'm just saying the owner of the team, Charlie Sinler, was notorious for doing all kind of crazy stuff, specifically the loud and crazy uniforms that we had. And, uh, you know, we had Blue Moon Odom, the right-handed pitcher from Macon, Georgia, Catfish Hunter. Jim Catfish Hunter was from uh, Hertford, uh, North Carolina. We had Burt Campy, Campy Nares. We had a guy on our team named Jumbo Jim Nash, a big right-handed pitch from Missouri, and he had given all these players nicknames. So he comes to me and said, listen, I want you to change your name to Vida True Blue. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, man? And, man, I grew up in Louisiana, and I'm named after my dad. I'm Vida Blue Jr. And, and the irony of this whole thing is that my father passed, which happens to a lot of kids, you know, 17, 18-year-olds, uh, their senior years in high school. My father passed my senior year in high school. So he never saw me play pro ball, less known, you know, after I made it to the majors. So I tell Mr. Finless, look, man, I'm not going to change your ultimate name. This is my father's name. And he, he thought enough of me as his son to give me his name. So I'm not going to change his, change my name to no true blue. So it gets out into the press. And sure enough, you know, while you're warming up and taking BP and stuff, the kids start calling me true blue. I'm like, hey, don't call me that. My name is Vida. So as it turns out, the equipment manager for the A's, I don't know, I don't know for some reason, he took it upon himself. He, he must have taken it, he took it personally and he took it upon himself. I don't know if you have to go to the commissioner's office or what, but I go in the locker room one day and Vida was on my uniform. I'm like, oh, now that's cool now. That was cool. But, uh, you know, I did it despite Mr. Philly. And uh, I, I, there's one person that still calls me True Blue today, and that's George Brett. I can be at an old-timers game or one of those events where you're playing golf with the alumni, and if somebody would yell, true, 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 I know it's got to be flicking George Brett, man. <laughs> he's the only person that still calls me true blue to this day. Uh, every now and then, Amos Otis would drop in a true, but George Brett, if he sees me, he's calling me true. That's the first damn thing he's going to say. But, uh, yeah, that that's the story, and uh, and that's how it came about in uh, – Actually, my brother back in Louisiana called me one day. Hey, tell me this. I got this argument with these guys. Ichiro's not the first guy with his first name on his uniform. And I said, no, I had my first name on my uniform. I think it happened in 73 it was. But uh, I got traded to the Giants in 78. And Chili Davis, the uh, hitting instructor most recently for the Mets, he had Chili on his uniform. And and for some reason, they made him take it off, and he had to uh, go back to uh, using the one with Davis on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I was the first player with his first name on his uniform, too, and that's pretty cool. But, hey, let me tell you, Ishiro is well-deserved. Man, he could play. He could play. Yeah. I watched him hit balls like he's halfway to first base with his leg in there and slapping balls down the left field line. I'm like, how the hell you do that? He, he but, definitely. Uh, I'm sure he was a great player, and I'm sure uh, you have to be thrilled to get a chance to to see him play on a day to day basis, man. He was a heck of a player, or still is a heck of a player, but obviously retired now. 
he was uh, he was definitely interesting. He changed the dynamic. I think he made people as defenders change how they defend because it wasn't the speed. He would, you know, it wasn't the speed. He was fast, but you're right. It was the technique. I mean, he was a step and a half out of the box as he was making (laughs) contact. And next thing you know, you know, he hits a routine ground ball to short and it's like safe. And you got the shortstops have been doing this their whole life. Go, wait a minute. When I pick it up, when I, when somebody hits me that, ball at that trajectory i pick it up and i throw it they're out even the fastest guys are out so they did especially early on for each row they had to the defenses had to kind of rework and rethink how they defended him it it was kind of fascinating to watch but to the ichiro the name on the uniform as teammates you know ichiro has a a real good sense of humor he he understands a lot more english than people people think (laughs) even back then when he first came to the states and to major league baseball uh, but we had a pretty good, you know, we didn't think about it. We just said, ah, oh, he's Ichiro. I don't know. He's been Ichiro in Japan. Let him do whatever he wants. As long as he gets on base ahead of us, you know, as long yeah, as he's on base, when I come up, yeah. I'm happy with it. But for guys like you, you had to be laughing because it, it doesn't, it seem as we go on in life and, and we get these life experience, we get a little older. I'm getting a little older. We're all getting a little older. We think no whatever's kidding, happening, man. We think what's ever happening today, it's the first time it's ever happened. So I'm sure when Ichiro came up and he had that thing in his uniform, Vita Blue sitting at home somewhere laughing, going, <laughs> you think he invented this? <laughs> yeah, but and, and like you said, I, I can't, you know, like a lot of the Latin players come over with their interpreters. They speak a lot more English than, than they are let on. To, I think they just do it to make a fool out let let us make fools of ourselves and they sit there laughing at us because they do speak a lot of English or, or Japanese or Chinese or whatever the case, or Korean, whatever the case might be, man. But uh, it, it was fun to watch and uh, he's no doubt a definitely a uh, Hall of Fame in my, my opinion, you know. Born and raised in Louisiana. Tell me about your childhood. Man, it was a small town in northwest Louisiana. I grew up near Shreveport, Louisiana, man, it's, which is close to the Arkansas border on the on the to the north and to the west was Texas. I could go to Texas, drive the Texas across the Sabine River within like thirty minutes, man. But I played sports. That was the only only thing I had to hold on to, man. You know, it was times were rough back in that in that little town, and it's but it's home. It's it's where my life got started as an athlete and as a person, and and more more. Specifically, as a grown man, and I, uh, I grew up without a father. Like I said, I'm the oldest of six kids. So uh, my two younger, my sister, I have four sisters. Sister number four, and child number six. And my brother's uh, the only brother I have is child number five. He and my baby sister, uh, they're I'm more like a uncle slash father to them. I'm more like that than I am a brother to them because. They were the younger of the of the uh, six of us uh, after my as when my father passed away, and uh, so they don't they don't remember nothing he did. But my dad worked in a steel mill, man, and uh, that was a hard. He did that stuff for twenty years just to provide for his his uh, wife and kids. And uh, I think I got the work ethics from him. He never missed a day of work for twenty years. Going Monday through Friday, going to that steel mill and giving it all he had, man. You went to DeSoto High School, 
Yeah, and I yeah, hear you, yeah. I hear. I hear you're a pretty good quarterback. Now, I think. I think Bradshaw's from that same neck of the woods. Am I correct? Yes, he is. Bradshaw and, and uh, Burt Jones and Joe Ferguson, all those guys. Uh, Shaq Harris is from that area. Uh, uh, who else? Is another quarterback. Oh, uh, Doug Williams is from that area. He went to Grambling University. But uh, I'd be at the right thing. But I, I uh, baseball. I got drafted during the June draft, and uh, uh, after my father passed, I was still in a state of shock and still grieving his loss, and uh, my mom wanted to know what I was going to do, and my, my high school girlfriend, man, said, hey, you got to do something, man. It got me out of my doldrums, and I went to a little JC college, wasn't playing sports, just trying to get my mind right, and I got drafted in the June draft to play baseball, and uh, I took the chance. Uh, the A's drafted me. They were. I got drafted as a member of the Kansas City A's, and the A's moved the franchise from local. I'm from Kansas City to Oakland that year in '67 or '68. I'm not sure which year it was, man. But the rest is history. I'm glad I played baseball. I got a chance to uh, play and pitch against some great guys. I pitched to your dad. I pitched to Mike Smith. Mike Smith hit his 400th home run off me in Candlestick Park. Remember Candlestick Park, man? Oh, I do. Yeah. I do. And we just had uh, we had Will Clark on the program, I think, oh, a Will week ago. Will Clark, yeah. Will the Thrill. And, and we had those Candlestick. People don't understand that never played at Candlestick. It's called, you know, you guys, <laughs> as, as the guys that play, we just call it the stick. We're going to the, the stick. stick. absolutely. It's a, it's a different stick. animal. It's a different animal. It was it was to baseball what Alcatraz is to prisons. <laughs> yeah, you're right. uh, I've never heard it, but I've never heard that analogy. That is that is accurate. You never knew what it was going to do, and I and and I asked Will this, and I said, you know, today's players and all the bat flips, and we watch and pitchers celebrate, hitters celebrate. I said, at Candlestick, you better never stand there because I've hit balls. 440 feet that don't go out and I've hit pop-ups that somehow in candlestick where those crazy winds are just goes into the seats and I'm going, I, I didn't expect no that. So kid, you, man. No kidding, for sure. So if you, you know what's going on if you've ever played candlestick park. You don't take nothing for granted there. Like I said, you, and uh, the most frustrating I ever saw a guy was Jack Clark. So he would hit a ball and, and uh, you know, he'd go into his little trot Left field is running in to make the catch, and, and uh, that win on any given day, man, any given night. And at one time, they played a lot of day games because, you know, it would be so cold at night, they were trying to uh, get, you know, drum up the attendance, figure people come out when the sun was shining. But on any given, on any given day, man, that fog could roll in around 3 o'clock, and it would be a rough day if, if you weren't used to that type of climate. It was damp. Cold and windy, and that, those are three ingredients for a lot of balls going astray on that infield when you get those infield pop-ups, man. It was a scary but, place, uh, and I, I think I my time up to stick. I think too. I mean, if you're if you're a member of the Giants, it's almost like it was a home field advantage because you guys <laughs> just had to, you know, at a certain point you got to come to grips with whether we like it or not. This is our home, so let's turn yeah, it into absolutely. a positive for us because I know. Coming in as a coming in as a visitor, and you know you take you, you dress in right field, and you take that walk across the field. And once that game starts, you're kind of trapped. You know they they yeah, no, they, yeah. they didn't put the, 
they didn't put the proper plumbing in the visiting dugout. There, <laughs> there is a in urinal. All those hot dogs wrappers, they swirled around. They came past the first base dugout, which was the home side. But they'd end up in the third base dugout on the visitor side, man, with mustard and stuff on them. So I could imagine what that was like. Uh, luckily, I, I was there just as the home player. And I had the, uh, we had a heater in our dugout. It was just a steam pipe, obviously with holes drilled into it, but you could feel the steam coming up your back and hitting you on your butt. But it was, it was, it was rough for the home players too. But like I say, it was a home field advantage because we, uh, we would laugh at the guys from Atlanta coming in with those football parkers on. And, uh, that win, it, it could change your mind, man. It would definitely change your mind. But, uh, the stick, and I, I'm glad I got a chance to be a part of that at one time in my major league career. I, I got a chance to experience the stick. So you mentioned earlier, in 67, you get drafted by the Kansas City A's at the time, uh, your second-round pick, and you said that was a tough time in your life. Your, you, your dad had passed away. Uh, I heard you were quite a football player, by the way, and you had offers to college. Did you ever consider going that route, going the football route, or even playing both, or or was always now nah, I got to sign. Baseball is my passion. Uh, baseball was the easiest thing. The 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 reason being, you know, I was offered a, a signing bonus. So my thinking was, you know, I got to become the breadwinner. Now my thinking is, if I sign the contract, that would be a source of income. My dad didn't have a pension plan working in a steel mill for twenty years. So uh, the the thinking was. And I shared this with my mom, who is no longer with us, that uh, it would be a, you know, we could renovate the house because we were getting older and, and uh, I was leaving the nest as an adult. But uh, still, you know, it would make life better for for the siblings coming after me. And uh, she agreed. So we signed the baseball contract, got the bonus, renovated the house. And and uh, my brother and sister still live in the house, man, in that little town that I grew up in. Beautiful Mansfield. As a matter of fact, I'm scheduled to go back on the 1st of July to visit my family and, and see some of my, my buddies, man. It's going to be a fun time. Very cool. So you signed with the A's. Um, tell me about that adjustment. You go from, you know, uh, we, we've had so many people on the program and we talk about signing out of high school versus signing out of college. And there is uh-huh. a big difference. I have a son right now that just signed, uh, you know, out of college last year. And a little easier. I signed out of college, and I was 20 years old when I went to, to A-Bot. But I think there's a big difference between being 20, being 18. And it all It's all up to the individual. But how is that going from high school ball? Now it's your job. Well, it, it was total learning experience for me. I was in the headlights, man. And, and, of course, my town back in the early 60s, late 60s, the t- my town was segregated, uh, and, you know, I lived on this side of town and everybody else lived on that side of town. But, you know, I I was told by one of my high school coaches, son, just go there and keep your mouth shut and do your job. And that's what I did. But uh, I played with, you know, Italian players, guys from Venezuela, guys from Cuba, guys from Puerto Rico, guys from Dominican, guys from New York, guys from all over the world. And, and it did become my job. And uh, I, uh, I just jumped at the opportunity to uh, learn about myself and learn about different cultures. And uh, I played with my first year in A-ball, this guy named George Hendricks got drafted by the A's too. And uh, we were in the Midwest League in Burlington, Iowa, man. And uh, 
he won the band title. I think he hit like 350 without trying. And uh, easy George Hendricks, man. He was a heck of a player and a heck of a teammate. And uh, but it, it was it was a. I think obviously when you go to college, you get some exposure and you you have to show some maturity because of the situation that you're in in college. But uh, when you're 18, and you're leaving home for the first time, and uh, you know you're as green as a green apple behind the ears. You just try to, as I as I said, keep your mouth shut, do your job, and listen and learn. And that was that was something that I kept with me from, uh, as I said, one of my high school coaches gave me that advice before I left town, uh, trying to seek my fortune as a professional baseball player, man. I'll tell you what, it didn't take you too long. So you, you make your debut in 69, although brief. Uh, you're there. You're in the big leagues at 19 years old. 1970, fast forward. You pitch, you pitch a no-hitter. <laughs> you barely – you don't have a year in the big leagues yet. You already got a no-hitter. Tell me about that. You, you no-hit, I believe it was the Twins, the Tony yeah, Oliva was, and, was, and Killebrew. It was the Minnesota Twins with Oliva, Killebrew, Rock Carew, Cesar Tovar. I, I'm not sure if Bobby Allison was still on the team at the time. Uh, but I don't know, man. It was just, you know – I was rewarded with the chance to, to uh, come to the big leagues after, in 1970 after coming up in 69. And I had been in the American Association for the whole year. I'm not even, I don't remember what my record was, but uh, I had a good season there. And uh, I came up with Gene Tennis, my battery mate, and uh, uh, obviously a teammate. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was just, you know, the stars lined up for me, Brad, and, uh, you know, some good things were happening for me. And the next, that next season, that following the 70, 70 season, the 71 season, I was uh, promoted to the big league. I made the team out of spring training. But what happened was I was in the, on the reserves, and I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, over the wintertime and running with that backpack and that rifle and those boots. I was in the best shape of my life, and the opportunity presented itself for me to make the team in 71. And I don't mean to fast forward to jump ahead of it, but uh, – that's when I had a had a, a great season, uh, something that I wish every player could experience, being at the top of your game like I was in 71, and it's something that I obviously always remember and, and obviously never forget, man. It was it was a great time for me. I'd say 71, you go 24-8, and eight, you have a 1-8 ERA. You win the MVP, you win the Cy Young, and you start the All-Star game. You're on the cover of SI – and Time magazine all in one year. I mean, that'll, that'll turn your world upside down. What was, like, what was that like going through it? Again, man, it's still this little kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, had done some good things and was experiencing life at its, at its fullest. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, to be on the cover of those magazines, who would have thunk it that this kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, would go to great search heights? And, uh, I kind of took it all in stride. It didn't change me. Uh, I was very humble, and I still am about accomplishing all that stuff. And I know that I put in a lot of hard work, but, you know, this combination of having good teammates and, and good success and good things happening to me all at one time. And uh, I, uh, I just took it all in stride. At least I tried to. But, you know, to start the All-Star game with Doc Ellis was starting for the Pirates, and that was the first time two African-American pitchers had started the All-Star game in, uh, in big league history. So I was 
fortunate to be a part of some other his, historical stuff, man. I'm always glad to make history in a positive way now, in a very positive way. Unbelievable. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, like you said, you, you wish everybody could experience it. That just, just a dream year. And, and we get to 72 and now you sit out. Is it, what's, what's the deal behind that? It, would Charlie wouldn't pay you or what's the man, reason you on, briefly man. sat out in 92 Booty, or I'm Booty, sorry, 72. On, Booty, I'm, Booty, as you mentioned, I'm 24 and eight with a one, eight, two ERA. I had eight shutouts, 300 innings, 300 strikeouts, and this guy didn't want to budge, man. And Reggie Jackson had experienced this, the same thing a year or two prior to me holding out. So now I've got to stick to my guns. And I was one of the first players on the A's to hire an agent, and he took he was offended by me hiring an agent. I'm like, I'm 20 years, I'm 21 years old, and you're a business tycoon and been doing this stuff your whole life. I got to have some some professional representation and we couldn't get the numbers worked out. And we got commissioner Bowie Kuhn was still commissioned at the time. He met with us and uh, Mr. Philly had a, had a uh, office in Chicago. So I fly to Chicago with the Drake hotel trying to iron this thing out. We never did come to, to an agreement. And uh, I, so I got a whole lot. And of course I want to play baseball. This is my whole life. And this is, you know, something I enjoy doing. And I haven't had success that I want to get back out there, man. And it, I think I held out for like 10 days or two weeks. Luckily, we had a strike in, uh, in 72. And, uh, but we finally got it ironed out. And this is what he did, man. We reach an agreement, come to some good numbers. So now he gets the money back by putting me on the disqualified list saying that I was unable to participate in a big league game and I was out of shape until I got myself in shape. He didn't have to pay me. And that is a rule. And this guy was so shrewd, man. He was, I mean, he was great for the game with his innovation of the uniforms and the white shoes and all that stuff. And he wanted to have the orange baseball. I'm not sure if you've heard that story, but he was a character. And I, I don't speak ill of the dead, but, I used to tell people that Charlie Finley was a combination of Al Davis from the Raiders, George Steinbrenner from the Yankees, Ted Turner from the Atlanta Braves, and Donald Trump all into one. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, he, was, was, he had all those different personalities, man. He was that shrewd. But, uh, hey, what can I say? He's the person that gave me a chance to play Major League Baseball, and I'll always be indebted to him for that. Uh, may he rest in peace. 72, you guys, the, the Oakland A's, you, you win the World Series 72, 73, and 74. I think we, we always hear about the, the Yogi Berra, you know, in the, in the Yankees of the 50s, right, big, red right. mach, big Red Machine in the late 70s, that late, that late 90s Yankees dynasty that won, I think, four in, in a matter of five or six years. Do you guys think you guys get, get enough credit? Because those early 70s A's teams were about as good as it gets. Well, I've seen the uh, – I think it might have been SI that came out with the top 20 teams of all time. And they had the Reds that we beat, the 72 Reds. They had them 10th, and I think we might have been 14th or something out of that top 20 all-time teams. And I, I don't – that's not justice for us, man. But uh, I think we get 
overlooked because we didn't do it with a lot of fans. We did it with solid defense and the truest form of defense in itself is pitching. We had good pitching. And, of course, with Catfish Hunter and Ken Holtzman and and, uh, and myself, the big three and Blue Moon Odom was, was that fourth starter. And he he was the swing man as a long reliever out of the bullpen sometimes. But we had this guy named Raleigh Fingers, which – Solidified our, our rotation and had Daryl Nose from the left side. So we did it with good pitching, you know, and, and playing solid defense and uh, playing uh, small ball and execution and advancing runners and and taking extra bases. But but uh, I played for Dick Williams, who was a stickler on defense and playing the game right. You know, he wants you to hit the cutoff, man. He wants you to get an out on any given play. You know. But, just do the right thing. And as old Coach Belichick in football said, Dick Williams was saying this a long time ago, just do your job. Just do your damn job. And uh, he, he instilled that in us, man, and, uh, and it worked out. And I was so fortunate to be in the World Series at age 22, 23, and 24 in 1974. And we beat the Reds, obviously, in 72 and beat the, the Mets. And I think the Mets might have played us the toughest because they had Seaver and Kuzman and, and Craig Swan and Nolan Ryan and Tuck McGraw at that time. And uh, they matched up pretty good with our pitcher, but we were able to squeeze, squeak it out. And, of course, I think the biggest thrill of all I enjoyed beating the Dodgers with the Interstate California World Series, and we beat them four out of, uh, four out of five, I think it was. Very cool. Now, and we jump ahead to 76. There's Finley again. He's trading you to the Yankees. <laughs> but but then there's Coon uh, jumping in, saying, Bowie Coon saying, wow, I, I can't approve this trade. Take me through that. I think that the well, people listening to the Boone podcast would be very interested just in the history of the well, game. Well, what happened was the uh, the Yankees wanted a left-handed pitcher, and I was available. I hadn't signed my contract. And the Red Sox were in town, so – you know, like the Yankees and Red Sox do not. When one does it, the other, other counters and does something trying to keep up or stay equal, equal or even with them. So the Reds, the Boston Red Sox were in Oakland. So I had been bickering with Mr. Philly and with my agent and stuff. So he called my agent and said, hey, I, I got a deal for Vitus. So this was before the, the Boo podcast and Sports Talk Radio. So he <laughs> said, my agent called and said, look, we got some numbers ironed out, da, 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 da. so you can go down. So I leave my home up in the Oakland Hills. I drive to the ballpark. I go and meet Mr. Finley. He's very cordial and professional, and I sign the contract. So on the on the the hourly news, I'm driving back. I hear I've been traded to the New York Yankees. I'm like, what the hell? Is this son of a buck has done now. By the time the ink dried, he had already had – I'm sure that Steinbrenner, the deal was, look, we won't blue. We'll work the deal, but he has to be signed. And so Philly pulled a fast one on me and my agent to have me sign the contract. Now, granted, Boston was in town. Rudy and Fingers, he, he ate and six that deal too. They couldn't go nowhere. So we were like in limbo for like a week. And nobody knew what was going to happen. Mr. Mr. Bowie Coon did not approve the deal, saying that that he was 
you know, weakening the chances of the Oakland A's to be a competitive team and that I had to stay at Oakland and that Rudy and Fingers uh, had to stay at Oakland the remainder of the season. But they hadn't signed contracts. So now they're free agents. Rudy goes to the Angels and Gino goes to the Padres. And having signed the contract, and of course the, the league honored me signing the deal, so I'm stuck in Oakland for another couple of years. And that's when it just, everything went south. I, I really felt bad about him pulling the wool over me and my agents uh, by doing what he did and having me sign a contract, having already made a deal to, for me to be traded to Jack. Actually, had I gone to Yanks, I'm not sure if I would have enjoyed it or not. It takes a special breed of person to play in New York City where the lights are bright every night, man. Well, it's interesting, too, because he thinks, okay, he gets invited down to the ballpark, sign the contract. He's already got this deal out the door, so he ain't got to deal with Vita anymore, right? Except yeah, for yeah, the, deal, the deal boomerangs on him. So now, <laughs> you're coming in spring training, he's, he's got to come down and look you in the eye and go, hey, and that couldn't have been a good thing. And that probably, as, as you explained, that, that wasn't sitting very well with you. Uh, yeah, that's, from a, from that's a, a kind of a disgruntled employee. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we probably could have challenged it and called it collusion. And who knows, you might have still been in the courtroom today if 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 it had not ever worked out the way it did. But uh, luckily, he got rid of me, and I went to the Giants, which was a luxury of me staying in the area. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm lucky to have a fan base in the West Bay over on the San Francisco side and have a big fan base here on the Oakland side. So it worked out for the best. And, uh, but you know, you got to just in the back of my mind, just, you know, what would it, what would it have been like to be playing for the New York Yankees, the world's one of the world's most famous sports franchises anywhere, you know? Yeah. And the the thing about Coon or the thing about, uh, Finley. Finley, He wasn't done yet. I, 78, he traded you to the Reds. That got next. And finally, I guess Bowie Kuhn decided that when you got traded to the Giants, the compensation was pretty big. It was seven players in cash. And, and I guess Bowie said, oh, okay, well, that's yeah, a fair but, deal. But Can you none, imagine, none though? Of the cash, none of the cash went in my pocket, though. <laughs> no, no, but it's amazing how back in those days, that time in baseball history, you had a commissioner of baseball deciding what was a good deal and what wasn't a good deal. Yeah, he he decided the fate of the players. Well, what happened also that same year after he nixed my deal to Cincinnati, he allowed Seaver, Tom Seaver to go from the Mets to the, to the Big Red Machine. So I'm like, well, what the hell is going on here? And of course, He's the almighty now. He's the almighty. Yeah, I, I got screwed twice, man. Well, three times, to, to tell you the truth. But uh, as a, as I say now, Booney, I'm I'm all content with my life. And uh, I did 17 years. So, hey, man, I, I have decent health. So I have kids and grandkids. And life is good for Vita Blue these days. So you go to the Giants, play there from 78 to 81. You go 18 and 10, your first your first year in uh, San Francisco, you were the first. You were the first pitcher to start an all-star game in both the American League and the National League. How cool was that? That was that was uh, that was that's pretty cool. That, like I said, if you if you 
setting records and making history, that's always a good thing in a positive way for sure. And I uh, remember the game, I think the game was in San Diego and I was the starting pitcher. And uh, I think I gave up a triple to maybe two triple. I gave up triple to Ron Carew. And uh, he was one of those left-handed hitters that hit left-handed pitching like he was, you know, the guy had won six batting titles. So he was going to get his share of hits regardless who was, whether you're left-handed or right-handed or whether you threw in a split finger or change-up, he, he was a definitely a bona fide hitter. After, after three years with the uh, Giants, you move on to Kansas City. Uh, and you play there in 82 and 83. And in 83, you get released. And, and this is where it comes to. Tell me what happened. You, you don't play the 84 season. Because you got suspended well, by, I got, once yeah, again, I who was suspended. it? Bowie yeah. Coon. Well, uh, I'm not, was Bowie Coon still the commission at that time in 83? I'm not I sure think, if he was. I think well, was. This, this, we had an issue that happened in, in Kansas City with some other players and myself. I'm the oldest of the three, and it would had to do with, with illicit drugs. So, you know, you make bad choices in your life, and you pay for them. So I took that year off, and I went to Puerto Rico and played play winter ball in, in 84. I'm sorry, yeah, the winter of 83, and I came back, and I played in 84. Five, uh, 84, 85. I was not suspended in 84. I, I know Eight, I suspended, suspended in 84. Okay, so I was suspended in 84. And I went to play winter ball the winter of 84, and I came back, and the Giants took a look at me, and I made the they, – they didn't have that good of a team. So they had a whole bunch of guys. So I made their team out of spring training, and uh, they said, would you get you out of the book? And I'm like, yeah, what the hell? I just – I wanted to come back to play – and, you know, I had a couple more years in the tank. But the bottom line is I wanted to come back and I wanted to walk away from the game on my own terms. And I played 85 and I played the 86 season. And, and that was it. I had enough. And I, I, I walked away on my terms and not on baseball's terms. And a hell of a career. You come back to, to the Giants, like you said, for your, for your final two years. You retire. Uh, you go to the A's Hall of Fame in 2019, and, and in 2008, you're also uh, selected to the Giants Wall of Fame. Um, tell me about those two, getting that phone call and, and just telling you the news. Well, you, you, you really, you know, I, I'm such a laid-back guy when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know. But of course, you're appreciative of of your accolade, of your accomplishments and accolades that come with it. And uh, to be in the A's Hall of Fame is pretty cool. Obviously, it's where I started my career, and to have done it on gotten it, the the uh, call from the Giants. That's pretty cool too. Uh, I mean, they don't have to do these things for you, and uh, it says that I did something right within my life and career on and off the field, and it's being recognized by the two teams that I that I gave a lot of my career to. So, again, you know, they're, they're Oakland A's fans that like Vita Blue, and they're San Francisco Giants fans that like Vita Blue, but they're Vita Blue fans that like Vita Blue, and I'm very appreciative of all three of those. So uh, I've had it good, my friend, and uh, like I said, I wouldn't change a thing in my career. I made some bad choices, but that doesn't make me a bad person, and uh, my life goes on. 
today's game, you know, it's a different game. I sit back and I watch, you know, the 2021 version. And I, <laughs> I love I love a lot of things about it. A lot of things I'd like I'd like to be, you know, see be done differently. But one thing that really is is undeniable is the is the modern day athlete and the the physicality of these players. They're just getting bigger. They're they're getting stronger. They're getting faster. Doesn't necessarily mean they're getting getting better, but from a physical standpoint, these guys are you know they're training year round and they've got nutritionists. I mean, it's all great stuff. Right. You can you can personal trainer that that goes with them and yeah, everybody's. They're so conscientious of their bodies, and and they are bigger, faster, stronger. But uh, there are some things I don't like. I don't like the, the the rule at home plate where you can't slide into home plate, and the catcher can't block home plate. I don't like you can't slide into second base where you as an infielder you may not care about that one. But when you can break up a double play, you, sh- you should be able to do that legally. You know. Well, I'll tell you, second base, I I take big offense to that, that rule, because that's where I define myself as a great second baseman. Anybody can turn a double play when they can't take you out. You might as well have a third baseman, maybe a left left fielder can turn it. (laughs) Yeah, that's not, hey, why don't we bring the catcher out there? He'll be able to turn a double play if if you ain't got any heat on you, you know, and, and I think the great second basements, that's where we earned our stripes is with our back to the, to the runner, him barreling down on us. Hopefully it's not Hal McRae, but, no but to our, turn our that, Baylor. Right. To turn that big double play with everything on the line and walk off that field smiling. That's where I felt yeah. that I could separate myself as a defender. And nowadays, yeah. So that's one of the rules I really didn't like, but my point was the, the velocity today is so up, uh, left-handers especially, you know, you got Snell, you got Chapman, but it seems like every lefty now I'm watching on TV, you know, everybody's 93, 94. The elite guys are 95, 97. Yeah, and, that's now in uh, with the uh, Padres. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, man. Those, as you mentioned, the, the, the guys have, they take care of their bodies, but I think the guys are learning this in college. They're having good mechanics and, when you do that properly, good mechanics, and the proper way to deliver a baseball, when you're rocking back and dropping and driving your body towards the uh, hitter, has a good chance that you're going to get some good velocity. And uh, obviously, you know, the release point is important too, but guys believe in the fastball. And, uh, you know, that, that's, it, this stuff goes in cycles. You know, years ago, everybody was doing a split thing of fastball. Yep. And now they've gotten back to the basics of being able to, you know, spot a fastball and throw a two seam fastball when they're trying to get out of our miss. But I was watching the game yesterday and I was watching DeGrom when he came off the field. They checked his cap and checked his glove, man. They need a metal and detector. I'm like, Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It's ridiculous. But uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's the game we both love, Booney, and. Uh, Hey, what can we do? I can only sit back and, and admire from afar now. It, it's some of the stuff I disagree with, like you mentioned, but uh, it's still baseball, and I'll always be in love with this great game. But okay, and then, but the, the point I, I wanted to make was you go from today's guys, yes, velocities up across the board, especially I'm noticing lefties. In my day, the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, the velocity was up. 
But there were the very few rare lefties that had that high velocity. You know, you had the Randy Johnsons. You had the Billy Wagner. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it wasn't a, a big thing. We had more Tom Glavins than we had Randy Johnson. Today's game, everybody's <laughs> throwing hard. But my point is, Vita Blue was kind of an anomaly. There was you were throwing hard like that when there was no other lefties bringing it like you. How were you so far ahead of the curve? Because I, I've heard guys from your generation, your era, quoted saying Vita Blues through the hardest that I've ever seen. Okay, that's you know that's their time, but but that's a left, pretty right, that's pretty left. that's pretty high praise. You were ahead of your time, Vita. Yeah, you, you had your first know, name on your I, uni, I, I and you threw harder than anybody. I lived and died with my four-seam fastball that I could spot. And I tell you what, Booney, once I got traded to the Giants in 7-8, my pitching coach was a guy named Herm Sturette. And he said, look, that four-seam fastball is not going to survive here in the National League. And he was right. And he had me to start throwing a two-seamer. And, you know, I, it was obviously two to three miles per hour slower, but I had the movement, and it became a big part of my arsenal. But there's nothing like being able to throw a four-seam fastball or a rising fastball into that hitting zone, and you know there's a good chance that, uh, you know, two-thirds of the bat is going to either be fouled off or be a swing and miss. That, that, that's, that's a good pitch to have and, and believe in yourself that you can throw and spot it whenever you want to. Okay, you keeping up to you, you keeping up to to date with with what's going on in the big leagues? Yeah, obviously you are. You're you're talking yeah, about yeah, I, I, Degrom being I, big. Give me give me Vita Blues. I want Vita Blues take on. I've got my take. You know, non pitcher obviously. Tell me about what's going on. The sticky stuff, the spider tack, whatever they're calling it now. <laughs> you guys have been you guys have been doing this for a hundred years, but I want to hear Vita Blues version of what he thinks of today and and this sticky situation. What what's going on? Well, if you don't get caught, you're not cheating. First of all, booty. So <laughs> without a doubt, but I know what you guys, guys are up to. I just can't look, catch you. Guys, yeah, guys, figure this thing out and. Uh, it's, it's tricks of the trader, as Gaylord Perry used to call it, you know. And, and if you can help yourself, give yourself the least amount of advantage. I, I hate to use the term expression cheating, but you, you're, you're bending the rules a little bit. How about if I say it like that? I like that. But, uh, hey, I, I guarantee you that there are guys that are still far and few in between, but still there might be some guys that are doctoring their bats too. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that's the nature of the game. And I think they should leave it alone and, and let, let the guys play. When it's obvious that you're doing something, you get caught, then you should, you know, should be penalized for it. But for the most part, just let them play. Just let them play baseball. What are you up to these days? I, I know you're involved I, in a um, lot of charity work. Yeah, I, I do. I'm a ambassador for the Giants. And I do a few things for the A's, but, uh, uh, with the pandemic, I've been, uh, it hasn't been a lot of stuff going on and I've got my shots, even, even though I do have my shots, I don't like being around a lot of people, groups of people kind of, kind of get my attention, especially those, we don't know who's been, uh, vaccinated or not. And, uh, you know, of course I get out there and swing no golf club, but, uh, I don't play a lot of golf these days. I just sit around. I'm Staying at a friend's house, I'm dog sitting today. Uh, I have a friend that's in. She's an educate. She's an educate. She started a school a couple of years ago, 
So I'm babysitting. I'm glad the dog has it. I'm sitting outside watching the wind blow the trees, man. I'm having a great day, Boone. And it's been quite a, a uh, fun time for me to get in the, uh, and express some opinion about my life and the game of baseball. And I appreciate you having me on your show, man. This has been cool. Well, Vida, it's been a pleasure. Uh, awesome. Great career. Fun to talk to. I appreciate you coming on. And what we do at <laughs> the end of each and every podcast is we bring back in Dan for a question from the fans. Dano? Gentlemen, how are you? What you got, Dan? What you got, man? What's up? Give All it to right. him, Danny. All right, Vida. This one comes from Jim in Oakland, and he wants to know this. Vida, how many World Series do you think the Swingin' A's would have won if the team wasn't broken up by Mr. Finley? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Well, all I know is we had the nucleus of a, of a solid team. We had won those three in a row, and he had turned off the manager, Dick Williams. He wanted out. Uh, but in 74, we still had uh, – uh, Alvin Dark was our manager when we beat the Dodgers. I don't know. We could have possibly could have won that fourth one had we kept the nucleus of our team. Obviously, the pitcher with Catfish left and, and went to the Yankees. Uh, he traded away Reggie Jackson, and, and uh, that was just the downfall of it. But I like to think that we possibly could have won that fourth one. Vita Blue, thank you so much for coming on the Boom Podcast. You're very welcome, Dan. Oh, you're welcome, my friend. And uh, nice visiting with both you guys. Boone, good luck, man, and keep up good work. Give me a shot if you need anything.